Business Class, a podcast sponsored by the iBear MBA program of the USC Marshall School of Business. Expert insight into the world of business. The digital transformation is changing the landscape of business. But what about in the boardroom? In this episode of Business Class, we speak with Bob Zukas about a hidden crisis. The skill and the competency doesn't exist in the corporate boardroom, so we, we essentially have a digital leadership crisis in corporate America. Bob is a professor of management at the USC Marshall School of Business and founder of the Digital Directors Network. We dug in with him to discuss the impact of the digital world speeding past the capabilities and understanding of most corporate board members. Research is coming out that shows there's a significant business impact for uh, digital leadership, for boards that are digitally savvy. MIT came out with some research very recently, uh, and they showed that uh, companies with digitally savvy boards have 38% higher, faster revenue growth, 34% higher market caps, 17% higher profit margins. So the business impact of getting this right at a leadership level is significant, notwithstanding the, 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 the ability to lower your risk profile on all the breaches that we see in the headlines and what can go wrong with these technologies. We asked Bob to describe what corporate boards are missing. You know, you have the general board member and a digitally savvy board is not just one person on the board that understands these issues. The entire board needs to be able not only to to ask questions on these issues, but also understand the answers to those questions, right? So boards need training. They need education on all of these issues. They'll never be, you'll never take a general director who didn't grow up as an operational IT executive and make them an IT executive, but you can take certainly take them from a baseline of zero to a much higher point. And then you also need to take the people that are the experts, the qualified technology experts, and put them onto boards, right? The critical mass in the MIT research is, is two to three people on the board that have the depth that understand these issues. And then that'll propagate against all the general directors and their, their competency levels here. And you'll see the water level rise for the entire board as this kind of permeates the entire agenda. So once you get the skills on the board, then you have to organize the board effectively, right? So do you have the right committee structure to spend the time on these issues effectively? Uh, and then are you interacting with management in a meaningful way on the issues? We looked at the reality of how boards change, and the last time there was a meaningful shift in boardroom composition. They change slowly for a couple of different reasons, uh, and we always go back to uh, the last major board reform uh, regulation that took place in the United States was Sarbanes-Oxley. So, and I always draw people to the fact that it was only 16 years ago when that legislation passed, and that legislation forced boards to have a qualified financial expert in the boardroom. So think about that. It was only 16 years ago when it was a novel concept for corporate boards to have somebody on the board that understood a financial statement. So, so uh, in hindsight, that's kind of unbelievable. So we're at a similar point with the qualified technology expertise and getting those people onto the board to understand, you know, the root causes and the root impacts of these technologies uh, and, and whether that impacts the organization, how the organization gets structured, how work gets done. It does have an impact on that, but it, but it doesn't just blow it up outright. We wanted to know, is anyone getting it right? 
Well, Walmart's an interesting example because Walmart's one of the only five companies in the Dow 30 that has a technology committee on its board. So, so why do they have a technology committee on their board? In their case, it's probably reactionary to the Amazon threat. So they needed to understand these issues at the highest level of the organization. Um, you know, Walmart has some advantages that, that Amazon doesn't. Basically, their physical store, the footprint, the number of people that show up uh, at a Walmart on a week-to-week basis. Um, but they're also exploiting technology because they understand it now, and they're making a very efficient marketplace as well. If I had to pick one or the other long-term, um, I, I, I think both of them have a very competitive business model, um, and I think both of them have a lot to leverage, and I think it's a horse race. I don't think there's one that's clearly the winner at this stage, uh, and I, you know, I would put my money on, on, on both of them. Uh, equally confidently because they have different things that are driving their businesses forward. So does this mean that Amazon has already run the table? Are they too far ahead? Is there any hope for companies that compete against them? Well, you've seen uh, from Barnes & Noble to uh, even Sears, right, the, 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 the impact that that industry, that their e-commerce model has had on, you know, bricks and mortar. But if you look at Bricks and mortar, it hasn't destroyed. There's stores everywhere, right? So bricks and mortar hasn't gone away. Um, certain sectors have been uh, impaired more than others. Uh, I think Walmart got ahead of the e-commerce issue, and they, they had a much different footprint than a, than a Sears did, so they were able to weather that storm much differently. But if you look at the fact that Barnes & Noble still exists, and it's still a $3 billion business. So why is that, right? They, Amazon didn't put them out of business. It's because people still shop for uh, at a Barnes & Noble for different reasons than they shop on Amazon. People like to thumb a book before they read it, right? If people want help, if they want a book immediately for a party they're going through in two hours to deliver someone a gift, it's still a much more efficient market for certain market sectors that prefer that experience, that physical in-the-store experience. Um, and but you, you actually start to see Barnes & Noble's carrying a lot more toys now. Um, toys R Us went away, right? Um, and so they're now people were bringing their kids to the store, and it's you know it becomes a, a destination and an experience. So it's still out there. It's still there. It's it's taken a few hits across the bow because of because of Amazon. But the uh, what people value in shopping there is different than what people value in shopping in Amazon. So they still have a business. They still have a market. One of the biggest issues in this new digital landscape is cybersecurity. We asked Bob if this is primarily a security issue or a regulation issue that boards need to understand. It's both because the, the cybersecurity risk side uh, is a public interest issue, and the regulators are, have woken up to this. And there is some some uh, proposed legislation that would that would hold boards to a different level of accountability around these issues. Basically, disclose who on the board has cybersecurity skills that understands these issues, because when you know. Uh, half a billion data records get exposed, that that hurts you and I, right? The, the public interest issue of cybersecurity and the companies uh, that we do business with doing a much better job around these issues is what the regulators care about. So, so companies have set themselves up for a massive regulatory tsunami on this issue, and it will come, and regulators will 
force this issue. But then there's the other side. There's the offensive side, how you use technology to drive your business forward, right, and create a value proposition. And that's what business has always been about. The business of business has always been innovation, using the tools at your disposable disposal to create something of value in the marketplace, right? No different now. It's just a lot of the technologies are so new and misunderstood and they're coming so quickly and they're evolving so rapidly companies can't really keep up with with that pace in the traditional structure of of the organization that had a preference for slow moving markets that they could dominate and establish a quasi monopoly position in doesn't exist that way anymore business risk is that the real issue the risk um, profile is in uncharted territories, uh, totally new risks. Uh, what I mean by that, um, if, if you look at, uh, yeah, there is the, 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 per, the person in Ukraine, the professional in Ukraine, the, the hackers are always ahead of the control, the ability for organizations to, to, to stop the hack. So you're in an environment now where uh, you have to focus on resiliency. How can you recover? given the fact that hacking is probably going to be an eventuality in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but, but if you look at the nature of risk, third-party risk, um, so, so the domino effect of risk, if anybody, any one company in your supply chain, you, uh, you know, if you're connected to them electronically and you probably are in some way, shape, or form, you're sending emails back and forth between each other at its very basic level, um, you, you, you take on their risk profile, right? You're, you're only as strong as the weakest link in your, in your entire supply chain. The next obvious question is, how do companies get out in front of this? So what's the board's response to that is, is really where the board steps in uh, and what their responsibility is. How do they mitigate? How, how do they deal with the potential, the very real potential of a business shutdown? Uh, you have to know uh, what your policies are for ransomware. You have to practice the scenario. Uh, these type of breaches move very quickly. Uh, your response to the breach can create more liability if you don't do it in an effective way. We've seen that. Um, the uh, state-sponsored attack we're seeing right now, uh, there's litigation with the, uh, the MyPetya attack being a state-sponsored attack and companies who thought that they were protected against that breach with insurance. Uh, there's major litigation against one of, the, one of the big insurance companies that has said, well, we don't have to pay the premium because that was a state-sponsored attack. Guess what? You're not covered. Check the fine print. So there's nine-figure litigations out there against that insurance company uh, because people thought that they were covered and that they weren't in effect. So brand new ball game, totally new domain. And unless you have the right skills and competencies in the board that can ask the right questions and understand the answers, you're going to miss some simple things like that. You know, the simple point of your insurance not covering a state-sponsored attack. Maybe if you had somebody in the boardroom that, you know, read the fine print on this and understood the nuances and the details of it, you wouldn't have put yourself in that kind of a position. Board members can be trained, but still, digital experts will be needed. Who are the people that companies need in their boardrooms? Well, it was, it was great that MIT came out with that research, uh, so it proves uh, the value and it proves the business impact of paying attention to this issue. Uh, at USC, USC Marshall, we've created the only two-day ex- executive education program, the only program in North America focused exclusively on digital and cybersecurity governance. There are two programs in Europe on this issue, but no one's done it yet here, so it's a, it's a first at USC Marshall, and uh, I, I'm exceptionally proud to be associated with 
with it and exceptionally proud that USC is taking the lead on the issue. It's it's a case based course. It's it's there's peer learning uh, experiences. There is uh, a, a breach scenario. So we're taking them through what happens when a when a breach occurs, beginning to end, and how you should be prepared and react to that. The tools, uh, templates around uh, technology and cybersecurity committee charters. Uh, the things that we're giving them are going to enable them to then go back to their own boards and, and be very practical and tactical and functional around these issues. Uh, so it's two days, two full days um, uh, on campus here at, at US, USC Marshall in, in Los Angeles. Um, and it's, again, the only class in North America focused on this issue. If you look at how the SEC would define that, uh, and you go back to Sarbanes-Oxley when the qualified financial expert uh, nomenclature was created and how they defined whether you qualified as a qualified financial expert, there was a big debate over that. And what ended up winning out was um, the two camps were, it has to be a former CFO. It's a title-based determination. And, and there was pushback on that because people didn't think the candidate pool would be large enough or they would be able to be make a, a decision that was specific enough to their organization. So it broke down to uh, education, experience, uh, demonstrated competencies, uh, as, as well as having some understanding of governance aptitude. So a lot of CIOs, a lot of CISOs. Um, fit the bill as qualified technology experts. The thing that they're lacking for the most part is their understanding of, of governance, corporate governance and the mechanics and the board readiness to, to be able to step into a board. But they, they have the breadth of understanding of a business. They have the depth in the technology domain. I actually think CIOs might make the perfect corporate board member given the nature of, of their job. Um, uh, and what they can contribute to the organization moving forward. But what they lack, because they haven't been in the boardroom, is that mechanisms of governance. But that's very teachable. You can teach them that, uh, and they can step into the boardroom very effectively. So I'd like to see a qual multiple qualified technology experts on every single public company corporate board. That means we need 10,000 of these people. This isn't a trivial exercise. But this situation has happened before, right? No, and even Warren Buffett said, you know, we're in uncharted territory with cyber risk and it's going to get worse before it gets better. So this is nothing that we've seen before, which which requires you to take a different approach to it. And that's where most boards are stuck. They're trying to apply an old rule set and an old approach to an entirely new domain and an entirely new risk issue and profile. And that's where the struggle is. We asked Bob for a final thought. And he told us that corporate boards should go watch Braveheart to help understand this problem. There's, there's a great scene from the, uh, the movie Braveheart where Mel Gibson is rallying the uh, army and, uh, you know, to resist the, the English invaders. And, you know, if you look at his leadership style, uh, very hands-on, very active. He's leading his army into battle. And then you look at the English army and the king is on his horse um, and he's saying, send the first wave, send the second wave. And he's sitting back, sending wave after wave of people. Uh, to a horrible death on the medieval battlefield, right? And Mel Gibson's riding, you know, the charge, leading in with with, with his with his army uh, into the into the battle. And that's what you need. You need a leader that understands these issues and can take the organization forward around the upside of this technology as well as the downside. So directors and CEOs, this is this is hand to hand combat, and you need a hands on leader. 
Business Class, expert insight into the world of business. The host, Dick Drobnik, producer Pankaj Bhushan, director Dan Griffin, web developer Rick Pine, and I am Robin Garthwaite.